You know, the Bible teaches us, informs us that God abundantly provided for the children of Israel when uh, they, they had taken their wilderness journey. It says in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 21, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Amen. But you know, I believe it's ironic that, uh, and strange that this is a testimony of a generation of people that perished. Don't you think that? Does that thought arise up when you consider that God provided for them? The Bible says they lack nothing, and yet this generation perished. But I think it's important for us to understand and to remember that this verse testifies of the faithfulness of God and not the faithfulness of man. Amen? And I think it's important for us also to understand and to realize that Israel's demise was not due to a lack of provision, but a lack of submission. Amen? God, God always provided for them. The Bible says they had lack of nothing. Everything commanded was provided, but we read in the Bible that Israel refused to take the land. So in actuality, Israel refused the provision. They wouldn't submit to God. They wouldn't do things God's way. And they wouldn't truly bow their knee and submit to His person. So therefore, they perished. You know, in this day and age, and we know that, that Israel is a type. We look back and we can be admonished by their example. But, you know, we often think ourselves better than wandering Israel. But, you know, if we follow their poor example of unbelief, then we have to realize that we are going to perish just like they perished. Amen. We must never believe the accusation of the enemy that says that this is not the way. That's what the devil wants to tell you. This is not the way. If you believe, you will perish. The enemy, if you don't realize this, the enemy is constantly accusing the nature and the character of God and his gospel, saying if you go this way, you are going to be destroyed. If you believe God's word, it's not going to work out, you will perish. You can break that down to every single application of the word of God in your life. Life, the temptation is to think if I go this far, if I go this way, there's going to be trouble. It's going to cost me. I can never survive. You know the children of Israel, what did they say? When when uh, they, they spied out the land and Joshua and Caleb said we can take it and you know they said our families and our little ones, our wives and children will perish, will be destroyed if we do what God says. And that's the same temptation that you and I face. Amen. But I can tell you the Bible says God has provided everything we have need of to do His perfect will. It says in Psalms 84 and 11, no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. So if the people of God, anytime, anywhere, in any dispensation, if the people of God lack something that's according to the will of God, then it's not the fault of God. He cannot be charged. He always has to be something amiss in us. Amen. 
So this morning, and I alluded to this, I've preached this message before, but many of you have not heard this, but I want to preach here on the two biblical reasons for lack. Two biblical reasons for lack, and we're going to take our text out of James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. And let's read that now. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, but war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Father, we submit ourselves here to you this morning, and ask, Lord, that your word would find its mark, that you would minister to every heart, build faith in this house. Lord God, expose unbelief. Do what you must do, Father God, to mold us and shape us and conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father God, draw us unto yourself, Father. Lord, make us to see that provision is in the Lord Jesus Christ for everything that we have need of to do your will. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, when we consider the book of James, the book of James addresses and defines true biblical faith. If you study James and look through and, and analyze that epistle, that's really the theme to define faith, what it is, biblical faith. Amen. And here in chapter 4, the Holy Ghost moves through James and addresses the people who apparently fail to recognize that they're walking in unbelief. And what do we see here from people in unbelief? There's a lot of trouble and a lot of lack. A lot of trouble and a lot of lack. And wherever you have unbelief, a, a, a people that refuse to go to God, to trust God, and to believe Him at His Word, that's what you're going to have. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain you fight in war and you have not and some may hear that and think well that's a an extreme situation that that sounds terrible but i've seen that situation right here in this local church when there's a, a an aimless drift when there are people not pressing in to the things of god then they usually you know resort to spiritual cannibalism and they turn in on one another. And it's an unfortunate thing that you see this. This is not what God intended, but this is so very common, and especially where there's unbelief. And nothing so reveals unbelief as prayerlessness. Amen? Nothing so reveals unbelief as prayerlessness. When people are not drawing nigh to God. Now I want you to remember something here this morning. We've got an early morning prayer meeting. And people feel an obligation to be there. But always when I preach about prayer or preach about unbelief, I want to qualify. Just because you're there doesn't mean you're praying. Just because you're walking around and looking as, as though you're occupied doesn't mean you're drawing not a God. So when I'm talking about prayer or 
I'm talking about communing with God. That's what we've got to do. Not merely go through the motions, amen, or the mechanics of religion. So apply the Word of God accordingly and judge ourselves the way we ought to, amen. The church now is to be the habitation of God in the earth. An oasis of spiritual blessing and peace, if you will, amen. Every time we come together in the corporate meeting, and not just the corporate meeting, just the church uh, in, in essence, what we are, it ought to be a place of blessing and peace. But especially when we come together for the corporate meeting, any yoke of the world, any yoke of sin, any yoke of temptation ought to be destroyed by the presence of Almighty God. You know, I think back on the early years of my Christianity, and I don't know if it was really that good or I was just really that hungry, but it seems like I don't remember a bad church service, and I'm not exaggerating. Everything seemed like Canaan land to me when I look back. I remember going into the house of God and whatever I was going through at that time it seemed like God would pick me out that Sunday morning and speak to me and I thought here I come to church I don't know what all these other people are here to hear about I don't know why God wants to tell them about what I'm going through but I knew that God was talking to me it wasn't just the sermons it was the fellowship it was the worship it was the atmosphere I came into the presence of God on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening whatever it may be and there every need that I had was met that is the intention of God for the local church that there would be life that there would be blessing amen but when the body of Christ is void of Jesus himself then what God intends to be a blessing becomes a cursing. The house of God is then transformed from a sanctuary of communion into a place of contention. What James describes here is a bloody, selfish, contentious group of backslidden and frustrated. And I want to emphasize that word frustrated. Amen. A group of frustrated people who've drifted from the things of God. Now, I don't know what these people were really like, but I can just imagine that they hadn't cast off any outward conformity to the Word of God. That if you just knew them from a distance or observed them from a, a, you know, a, a, a ways away, that they would look like good Christian people. But it was in the heart that they had begun to drift. And what happened was carnality began to rise up. Carnality is always listen to me impossible to appease it is impossible to manage I don't care who you are I don't care what kind of wisdom or anointing a pastor has if there's carnality in that church it cannot be dealt with it will tear things up it will leave a wake of destruction in its path it always chooses self over the glory of God the only answer to the flesh is death 
execution. It can't be trained. It can't be taught. Amen. It can't be reformed. Flesh and carnality can't turn over a new leaf. It'll just morph into a different form of selfishness. It has to be put away. And Christ has to be raised up in that steed. Amen. But spirituality, listen to me, that's produced by those who are being led by the Spirit of God. I remember the first pastor that I had. He used to tell a story. He said he was, you know, pastor and he was young, had started a church and was maybe three, four, five years into that, into that, uh, church and said that all of a sudden there was contention and envy and backbiting and there were little cliques and contentions all across that congregation. And he said he became very troubled and he began to preach against certain things and it seemed to get worse and worse. And so he said he took a couple days off and went up into St. Francisville somewhere and began to pray and fast and ask God, what do I do? How do I deal with this? And he said he was, you know, on the last day he was there, he was praying very fervently and said, Lord, just give me, you know, a, a list of laws or rules or principles that I can give these people that they won't kill one another. And he said, I've only got one law for those that are washed in the blood, and that is the law of love. The law of love. Amen. He said, it came back to that church and preached, if you're a Christian, then you've got the love of God in your heart. Listen to me. If we'll love God supremely and love our neighbor as ourselves, everything else will fall into the right place. Everything else. That is God's law to us. Amen. I'm not against the law. You understand that? Amen. The law is not made for a righteous man, though. Amen. The law is not made talking about the moral law that is going to be produced in us by loving God supremely. But know this. When the church is not what she ought to be, it can always be traced to one thing. Her relationship with God Almighty. And as we've mentioned before, relationship relationship with God rests upon two basic conditions. Those are communication, amen, and compliance. Communication and compliance. You cannot have a relationship with God unless you first open up. Amen. Open up and allow God to deal with you, to talk to you, you to talk to Him. That's why prayer defines all this. Amen. Because how can I know God if I don't talk to Him and don't hear what He has to say? You'll remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He talked about not all that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter in, but only them that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. A little later down, he says, Amen, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. That word iniquity means lawlessness, self-will. Depart from me, ye that break the law, ye that do what you want to do. Amen, I never knew you. We say we know Jesus, but does he know you? Do we let him search us? Do we let him deal with us? Do we let him touch us and convict and reprove the deep and the secret things 
of our heart to deal with the motives you see it's not enough for us to say we know him we know about him we study his word amen he taught in our streets no no we've got to enter into a relationship where there is give and take an opening up a being honest with ourselves and honest with God talking to him listening to him and conforming and obeying you cannot have a relationship with God if you do not communicate with him and comply to what you hear amen hence listen sin and or prayerlessness is to fail in our obligation to maintain a relationship with God did you hear that sin and of course prayerlessness is a sin but remember compliance communication the two basic conditions whereby we have a relationship with God if we sin if we refuse to draw nigh to him and to communicate with him then we are failing in our obligation to maintain a relationship with God. All prayerless men are failing in their obligation to know God. And you know, as a Christian, they're saying, I'm Christ-like, and my highest aim in life is to know the one that saved me. But if you do not pray, if you just go to the prayer meeting and sit around and look out the window, walk, and just have your mind on something that you're not truly drawing nigh to God, then you are failing to maintain your relationship with Him. Amen? And remember, these two spiritual maladies always go hand in hand. What are you talking about? Prayerlessness and sin. They always go hand in hand. A sinning man will stop will stop praying, says Leonard Ravenhill, and a praying man will stop sinning. I believe that's true. Amen. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man is going to stop sinning. In Matthew 21 and 13, Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. Oh, little brother, but I believe the church ought to be a house of prayer. Well, so it is. But really, let's break it down to its most spiritual uh, foundation. Where is is the house of God. This is the house of God. I'm the house of God. You're the house of God. We're the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Amen. We're the body of Christ. And where Jesus dwells ought to be a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. Listen to me. Prayerlessness was the root of all compromise that constituted the cleansing of the temple. They had lost sight of who God was. And therefore, Jesus had to come. He said, it was intended that you be in prayer. It was intended that you seek God. But you're occupied in things not only unprofitable, but now it's led to things that misrepresent God. See that prayerless man? You can know he's either in sin or he's getting ready to fall into sin. That's an absolute. Not because prayer is in and of itself deliverance. Not because prayer in and of itself itself is salvation but because Jesus is deliverance and Jesus is salvation but you and I cannot have a revelation or a relationship with Jesus unless we commune with him it's impossible any other way amen but James here he's addressing a people that have great lack and though the severity of this condition that we read about, they they may not perfectly parallel our situation, amen? But I do believe that we can say, we can confess there is a lack. 
among us. We ought to be able to say that. Amen. You know, the longer I walk with God and the older I get in Jesus, the more inadequacy that I sense in my own life. And I'm afraid of myself. I'm afraid of what I can do apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know there's a great lack. There's a great lack in my life. There's a great lack in my family. There's a great lack in this church. I'm not denying what God has done. I'm not denying what God has wrought in my life through grace. I'm thankful for that. I'm not denying what God's done in your life or your family or what what God's done in this church. I'm not saying that for us to say, you know, oh, God hasn't done anything or God is nowhere around. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying we're only scratching the surface and there's a lot of other ground that we must take. And we'll never do it unless we press in to the person of Jesus. That's the only way we're going to advance in the kingdom of God. It's not just going to happen because we talk about it. It's not just going to happen because we realize it's so. Amen. Revival doesn't come just on a whim. Amen. There are certain laws and principles and conditions that govern revival. And there are things that we must do. I said there's things that we must do. We must submit ourselves to God in a greater way. Why is that? There is provision. You see, if we say, well, there's a lack. Brother Will, I know there's a lack here. Well, it's not God's fault. Because He's provided. Everything we have need of to have the book of Acts right here has been provided in Jesus. God's not withholding it from us. We've got to believe Him and take it. Amen? Now, there could be hindrances. I agree. We could be hindering or we might not have faith, whatever it may be. We've got to remove that. Amen. We've got to do, we've got to press in. It's our responsibility. Amen. To realize these things and to ask and to seek God for a move of His Spirit. Amen. But there's something I believe for us to learn here in this text. Can you see the frustration among the folks here? James declares they lust and have not ye kill you see when there's desire that's unmet when there's lust and those things when it when the word lust is used here amen that's that is uh, uh, implying things that are outside of the will of God. They wanted things outside of the will of God. Their heart, amen, drifted from the person of God. And now carnality has risen. And there's a lot of uh, an agenda that's come up with that carnality that wants things outside of the will of God. And when you get carnal folks that want things that are outside the will of God, doesn't matter what it is, it may be a way, it may be a direction, it may be, you know, some type of wisdom, it could be material things, whatever it may be. When you have people that want things outside of the will of God and they don't have that, they'll kill somebody in their heart, in their spirit. They become hateful, they become discontented, they become frustrated. He also said, and desire to have and cannot obtain. You know, perhaps this here would speak of legitimate claims before God. Real needs that God wants to meet, 
but it must be met or they must be met in His way, in His timing, and only through faith in the finished work of Christ. And so, you know, perhaps this morning, you know, there's legitimate needs here. Amen. And we, we know that we have those things. But perhaps we, you know, go about it a different way. We want to see God do something, but we won't do it God's way. We won't seek God for it uh, in God's ordained and prescribed uh, order or what have you. And likewise, there could be things here that are not according to the will of God. Desires, lust and covetousness of the heart, desiring to go away or have things that God never prescribed, then I tell you it's going to create frustration until we repent of that. But it's all can be traced to unbelief. James says they failed to have these things because they neglected to ask. Speaking of the legitimate things. You know, would the Holy Ghost encourage us to pray for that which is evil? No, absolutely not. So there are things that are not according to the will of God. And there are things that are in accordance with the will of God. The things that are not in accordance with the will of God, we have to repent of desiring such things. The things that are in accordance with God's will, we have to seek God for those things. So many times you find people become angry, bitter, frustrated, even with God, though they don't know it. And they're actually accusing God of not providing the things that they know they must have, but they never ask. They never ask. They never really set themselves, amen, with a heart of faith to really press in and to obtain those things in the Spirit. You know, it's a frustrating existence when we fail in our obligation as the body of Christ. I've seen it happen here on occasion. Amen. Especially when you get people that that are desiring to, to hold to a certain standard, that have strong convictions in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you let the life of Jesus begin to wane, and in, in that zeal to be spiritual, then there'll be that occasion to turn in on ourselves, to point fingers, to become the epitome of carnality while we think that we're spiritual. Because listen to me, when there's a lack, everything is magnified. When you get a lack in a church and there's a, a sense that there's great need here, then people begin to analyze. And if there's carnality, instead of saying, I need to press in. Let me tell you something. If you're spiritual and there's a lack in this local church, I'm not talking about sin. If there's something like that, it's got to be dealt with. Amen. I'm not talking about that. Just there's a lack, and you and you instead of saying, you know what, I know that there's a lack here. The only answer is for me to seek God. Amen. That's the that's what spiritual people will do. But if there's unbelieving carnality, then somebody's going to begin to look around and say, well, if brother so and so would do this, or sister so and so wouldn't do that, or whatever it may be, that people turn in on themselves. Amen. We need the river of God, the moving of the Holy Ghost, the winds of Pentecost to blow in here fresh. And if we have that, then every problem is going to be addressed. Every need is going to be met.
Everything will work in order. I'm not talking about a feeling. Just because God comes down and walks in the midst of people doesn't mean that you can always sense or you're always conscious of that. But nevertheless, if the river of God really flows, we know it will heal everything that it touches. Yet the Holy Ghost, He's faithful. He's going to go to the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem in most cases is a forsaking of the prayer closet. We heard the old preacher say, and it's so true, whatever takes you out of the altar will take you away from the person of Jesus. Whatever takes you away from the altar, it is what will take you away from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's the reasons here for the lack that we see here in this church? The first reason is the as not. Ye have not. There's lack because you ask not. Oh, Brother Britt, there's a lack in my life. Could it be you hadn't asked? Oh, I'm not talking about you just mentioned it to God. I'm talking about praying through, pressing your claim. We talked last week about persistent praying. What if the widow woman would have just simply went to the unjust judge and made one plea and he didn't listen to her? Amen. Could it be said that she really asked according to what God says or how God defines asking? Amen. If we look at the rest of the Bible, when it says ask there, it means a persistent praying of praying through, of fully meeting the condition of what God has laid forth, taking hold of God, amen, clinging to the horns of the altar until we receive what God has commanded and receive what we have need of. Ye have not, because ye ask not. That's an absolute. Just, you don't have it because you don't ask. Let me think of it. It's so simple. You have lack, I have lack. You don't ask. You don't pray about it. You don't take hold of it. You just talk about it, meditate upon it, complain about it, murmur about it, but you never pray through on it. You never just say, I'm getting ready to seek God about this. I'm getting ready. How come the gifts are not flowing? I'm just using an example. Amen. How come the gifts are not flowing? Think about it. How many times have you wondered that? Amen. How many, how, how come the gifts aren't flowing? Why, why aren't the gifts operating in this local church? But you know, we can talk about it. We can recognize it. We can diagnose it. Amen. But God wants us to be the remedy. Amen. And the remedy's in the person of Jesus. He wants us to get in union with Christ, that Christ can flow through us, and that we can can solve the problem instead of just recognizing it and analyzing it we need to ask well you don't have it because you won't ask you won't say god just get one person who's burdened in that way and I, I, listen to me one person one person in this church get burdened really burdened to see the holy ghost move amen in the gifts and the gifts will be restored and whatever is hindering it will be removed and exposed. Even if it's just a lack of faith, whatever it is, is going to be dealt with. Just one person would begin to say, I'm tired of it. I'm pressing in. Lord God, I'm going to seek you for the gifts that will edify. Oh, Lord, I pray. Just one person would do that. And there would be a remedy, an answer from heaven. Amen. But we have to ask so the need can be met. Amen. Not going to God in prayer is unbelief. That's what it is. Is there any way around that? Is there any way to redefine that? 
Not going to God in prayer is unbelief. Take heed, brethren, it says in Hebrews 3 and 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You know, you read throughout the New Testament and the foundational commandment of the gospel is to believe. Now, that's not the easy believism that's so prevalent today that we see everywhere. Amen. But it's a true surrendering of heart to the person of Christ. Christianity is to yield to Jesus as Lord and to trust Him as Savior. And if we live as though Jesus is truly Lord and believe that He is our Savior, then it's going to be impossible that we fail to communicate with Him. Do you see that? If I really believe that, that Jesus is Lord and He is my Savior, then I've got to communicate with Him. It's impossible to confess that and and to be prayerless at the same time and not be a liar. To make Him Lord is to submit every detail of my life to Him. To believe that He's Savior is to be utterly convinced that He is the answer to every problem of life. Now, if I believe that, then I'm going to seek Him. Is that right? Could it be different? Could there be some gray area in this? I don't believe. Faith in Jesus comes to and draws not a God while unbelief departs. Amen. It either departs, recklessly departs, or it aimlessly drifts from Him. That's always the case. You know, unbelief, it stands afar off. It lacks the grace to stand up and to take and to come before God. It lacks that grace. You see, listen to me. If I have faith, then faith stirs grace. Amen. And by faith, I receive grace. Remember, Jesus, when he, when he healed different ones, the man by the pool of Bethesda, he didn't just touch him and he got a lot of goosebumps in his, in his, you know, legs where they didn't have muscles, grew muscle. It wasn't just like that. He said, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. He had to do something. He had to act on the word of God. Do you understand this? The Bible says a lot of things to you and I here this morning. There, there's an answer for every need that we have in the pages of the Bible. There is a promise there given to us. And you know what that promise says to us this morning? In essence, take up thy bed and walk. Act upon it. Amen? As if you believe it. Oh, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Come. Then he steps out on the water. Stretch forth thine hand. Amen. That's what God, he, see, listen to me. He commands us to do the impossible. Every lack that we have, I'm talking about a legitimate needs, is because we know we're, we're to be Christians. And this is to be a supernatural life. This is to be a supernatural church. If I were to do a poll here this morning and say, what are the lacks here in this local assembly? Amen. You would say, well, such and such and such and such. And we could define it as this. We're not where we need to be. And the only way we can be that is by a supernatural move of the Holy Ghost. For Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, mister. He's a cripple. He can't do that. God's commanded him to do the impossible. What does that create? A need. You gotta act. When you have a need, there's a promise. And the promise is in Jesus. So for every lack here this morning, individuals, families, marriages, church, amen, there's a need.
the need because there's a commandment. And we're falling short of the standard of God. Amen. But there is hope. But in Jesus, we've got to believe Him. We've got to ask. Amen. We've got to believe the Word of God. Think about it. There was a lack among these people, not because there was no provision available. Not because it was right there at their fingertips in the Spirit. But simply because they refused to humble themselves and ask. John 4 and 10. Amen. Jesus said, If thou knewest the gift of God, saying this to the woman, Amen, at the well. And who it is that saith to thee, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She's standing before the Messiah. She's standing before the fountain of living water. He just said, if you knew who I was, if you truly knew who I was, then you would ask. And if you would ask, you would receive. So often it's right there. The provision is right at our fingertips. You know, you come in here on a Sunday morning and there's a prayer meeting. There ought to be a pressing in. There ought to be an asking. Amen. Listen to me. There's a difference. It just, it's hard to articulate this. There's something about an individual that rises up and puts their spiritual eye to heaven and looks to Jesus and begins to pray the promises of God and someone that just is kind of going through the religious notions. It's going to require that you deny yourself, that you set your will on heavenly things that you set your affections on things above but you know we come in here on a Sunday morning you ought to be praying God by the Holy Ghost move among us speak to us oh Holy Ghost of God that ought to be what we're asking for but you know so many times you can come in here and listen and nobody's asking such things or very few people why don't we have it we don't ask it's that simple. If we don't ask, then God's not going to do it because it's pride. That's what it is. It's pride that refuses to ask God, to talk, to cry out. Amen. Oh, God, please move by your Spirit. Speak to me. Isn't it an amazing thing how we often to fail to see the goodness and the all-sufficiency of our God? And couldn't it be said it's because we neglect to take His Word serious? I mean, really to believe what He has to say? Romans 10 and 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they call upon Him if they don't believe? they got to believe to pray. If you don't have faith, you don't ask. It's a mark of unbelief. If we would only believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, the Bible declares God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? Amen. Just for a moment, meditate on the magnitude of such a declaration. God has made us many, many, many wonderful promises through the atoning blood of 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. If you had a wealthy father and he told you, you know, I'm not going to support your folly and neither will God. Amen. I'm not going to finance your law breaking. Neither will God. But I'll tell you, son, if you're ever hungry, don't ever, ever, ever beg for bread. You call me and I will give you something to eat. Amen. Let, let me tell you something. You never see such a man as that digging through the trash can looking for something that somebody else threw away unless he didn't believe what his father said. But that's what we do in the Spirit so many times. Digging through the sewage of carnality and the throwaway of the flesh, trying to find some way out of our dilemma, some way out of our problem, something to meet our hunger and our need. Amen. And we just need to call upon God. If we could simply learn to trust Him with everything, every trial, every fear, every question, every temptation, then indeed there would be no lack. There is no lack in the Spirit. In other words, God has provided Christ. He fulfills everything. But there's a lack in our life because we don't ask. Because we don't seek Him for the answer. 1 Peter 5 is if casting all you care upon Him for He careth for you. That means to throw upon. To throw it off of you and upon Him. We ought to release every care to the wise management of God. Now when I say that, remember uh, you know, oftentimes I've taken these things for granted that people understand. When you read a verse like that and make just, you know, a, a brief comment that people understand, that doesn't mean you just say, well, uh, Lord, you know that I have this, this, and this, and then just, no, 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 really, pray through till you know you've been in the presence of God and you sense the peace of God that you've made these things known. Amen. We ought to release every care. Psalms 55 and 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalms 56, 3 through 4, and I read this verse last week, what time I am afraid I will trust in, in thee in God I will praise his word in God I have put my trust I will not fear what flesh can do unto me this is what we'll do if we truly believe God amen and believe his word remember this God is a giver amen he's already proven himself to be a giver because he gave the person of Jesus Christ that is irrefutably proven and we're never to question that but knowing that Jesus is the gift of God and defines God the Father as a giver, we can go to Romans 8 and 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He didn't save you not to provide for you and your pilgrimage and following Jesus. No, no. If He saved you, He delivered you, He filled you, then He has every intention of keeping you and providing you with everything you have need of to do His perfect will. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how impossible it may seem in the natural. Jesus is the provision for that need. But we have to believe it. 
And if we believe it, we're going to talk to him about it. Amen. You know, if you were strapped with an incredible debt, had a debt of, say, you know, $100,000, and you had to pay that off by May, there's nobody in this room that I know of that could do that. But nobody has the provision to do that. But if you knew there was a kind, benevolent man that had an unlimited uh, source, he had financial resources unlimited, and you knew that he would give to you if you simply humbled yourself and asked, would you go to him? This is God the Father. This is the person of Jesus who is the answer for everything. You know, he is interested in every seemingly insignificant detail of our lives. That doesn't mean he's focused on us or we're the center of the universe. But amen, he knows the number of hairs on our head. He is concerned, and that is the truth. He will meet the need if it's legitimate. I'm not talking about lust. We're going to deal with that here in a minute. I'm talking about legitimate needs to do the will of God. Amen. He may not do what we want Him to do. He may not do it the way we think He ought to do it or the time that He'll do it. But if we trust Him and we trust His character, then we pray through to a place where we have given it to Him. That's the only way that we're going to stay in the will of God. Understand that. That's the only way we're going to stay in the will of God. Be careful, anxious, or worry. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This teaches us to shun fear, to offer prayer and thanksgiving at all times and in every situation, and to humbly communicate our slightest needs to God. Amen? Now, listen to me. We all here irrefutably know the answer. We have right theology. I don't think because I preached here this morning that Jesus is the answer to everything that you've come to some new revelation. I believe if I'd caught you at the door and said brother so and so, sister so and so, what's the answer to every problem? What's the answer to everything? You would say Jesus. I don't believe there's one person here, perhaps uh, one adult and probably most of these children would have answered 100% correct. Jesus is the answer. Well, that's the right theology. But the right theology, if it's really going to work, demands that we practice neology. We're going to have to seek God. It's not enough that we say that He is. We need to believe that He is. And if we believe that He is, then we draw nigh to Him. We're going to make it a matter of prayer. You know, situations occur in our life, and then the devil comes in and floods our mind with thoughts like, I'll never make it. I'll never overcome. I can never live holy. I can never be what God has called me to be. This situation is too great. Amen. I'm going to be overtaken in it. And you know, listen to me. We shouldn't meditate. Those are attacks against the Word of God. You know how dangerous it is to meditate on those things? It's not according to God's Word. It is unbelief 
The Bible says we ought to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. You know the thought that says you can't make it? Hey, Amen. I can tell you that's exalting. That's a thought that's exalting itself against the Word of God. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. You know, you say, preacher, you know, why would you say such things? Is this really that common? This is so common that people think on these type things. It's a mark of immaturity that people sit around and woe is me. And there'll be a false humility. There's no virtue in saying you can't make it. That's blasphemy almost. I can do all things through Christ. I can't make it on my own now. I know that. But I can do anything God asked me to do through the person of Jesus Christ. And if I'm not doing it, it isn't because of Him. It's because of me. Most people that don't have grace... Is because they don't want grace. Because they don't really want to do the commandment that God has given them. Continual fear and continual worry is a result of not following these instructions right here. Now again, I'm not saying there's not a warfare here. I'm not saying there may be weeks and, and uh, months where there can be an attack against the mind. But you never let that in to your spirit. Constantly, uh, you know, walking ahead, pursuing Jesus, casting down these thoughts fears and worry and doubt all these things have to be set aside amen fear is the opposite of faith and reveals a failure to pray through amen now i've said this several times we need to constantly pray through it's not just a one-time thing and i don't mean to imply that but to pray until i know that I'm into His presence. Because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And you can have that anytime you want to have it. Amen? John laid his head upon the breast of Jesus. Why is that? Because he wanted to. Amen? That's all. You have as much of Jesus here this morning as you want to have. That's all that you have is what you want. And you could have more if you wanted more. But you just seek God and you'll have God. You can draw nigh to Him. Don't think you can't. You're drawn out of God. You can enter into His presence until He ministers to that fear or that worry and breaks that yoke and you can rest until the temptation comes again and then you pray through again. That's the whole pattern that God intends to see in His children. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. That reveals dependence. Psalms 37 and 5 Commit thy way unto the Lord. worry. Amen. As I said last week, then don't pray. But if you're going to pray, amen, then please don't worry. Everything is going to be alright if God gets involved with it. Amen. There's going to be a trial. There's going to be a test. There's going to be temptation. You have need of patience that after you do the will of God, then you receive the promise. We want everything right now. We want God to come down and explain it to me. How it's going to happen. How it's going to unfold. That's what we want because we are tempted with unbelief. Unbelief wants to see way across the river. 
before we go over there. Unbelief wants to see the, all the giants with arrows and spears in them before they fight. That's what they want to see. Amen. Well, you know what? God has given you the vision. The vision is of Jesus. God has given you sight. If you'll see in the Spirit, it's the Word of God. That is the end result. If you will simply go. He said, go, believe, and I'm going to give you what I said I would give you. It's going to unfold the way that I said. It's going to unfold if you'll simply believe and obey. It's unbelief that won't. It's unbelief that won't step out. We must keep going back to our closet until we pray through to a fresh revelation of His faithfulness. Jesus said, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But not be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. Well, Brother Brown, I thought you just said go back to your closet and keep going back. Didn't Jesus said we ought to just pray and then just, you know, God knows about what I need. Amen. I want you to notice what he's really saying here. He's not necessarily saying that repetition in prayer is wrong. What he is condemning is vain, empty, meaningless, and foolish repetition. When we just fall into the rut. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you. Lord, oh, Lord. Save my father. Save my mother. Save that's what he's talking about. Just where, and then you're, you know, your mind is on what you're going to do at work that day. That's vain repetition. Just going through the motions of religion. Amen. We know he's not talking about praying over. As I discussed last week, he prayed himself repetitively at times. Amen. But I'm telling you to press through. It has to be a real heartfelt desire. A heartfelt belief. Jesus here instructs us to be expectant. To be faithful and confident because our Father is well aware of our needs. Do you hear me? That's what He's saying. Be expectant. Be faithful. If you really do believe that God knows what you have need of, then you're going to be confident. You're going to be faithful. You're going to be expected. You don't find people who really believe when they say, well, why aren't you asking? Why aren't you praying? Oh, God knows what I need already. If you really probe deep enough, they don't believe that at all. That's why they're not seeking God. But if you really do believe that He's there, that He will meet the need, that His heart is to come, to provide through the person of Jesus, that will provoke you to pray. It won't provoke you to to prayerlessness. Mark 11 and 24, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Luke 11, 9 through 10, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What marvelous promises. We've heard this so much. We've become dull of hearing. But think if you'd never heard this before, just ask, and I'll give it to you. Knock, and the door will be open for everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be open. John 16 and 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. The answer to all fear is a revelation of who God is. The answer for all unbelief is a revelation of the character of the Almighty. 
Remember the disciples. Remember after Jesus has been apprehended and crucified. Amen. They're all shut up in a room of fear and despair. Closed in by four walls of unbelief. There in that place, in that dark, dreary, dead room. All, you know, all their ideas and perceptions of the kingdom have turned into confusion. Jesus has been crucified, executed by the state. And you can imagine they're wondering, what do we do? Where do we go? What does this mean? Were we disillusioned? And there in the midst of that, Jesus came into that room as a light and ministered deliverance and peace to his people. And so it is for you and I. Whenever we find ourselves walled in, hemmed up by despair, darkness, temptation, whatever it may be, if we'll simply call upon God, then He will come. Jesus will visit us. He doesn't need a door. He is the door. He doesn't need a way. He is the way. If we'll cry out to Him, then He'll come and the yoke will be broken and destroyed and He will meet the need if it's legitimate. That's an answer. That's great encouragement for any child of God that whatever I have need of, amen, it's found in Him. Now the second thing that we see here, the second reason for lack is they ask to miss. The first thing they wouldn't ask. Some things they wouldn't ask. Some people wouldn't ask at all. Other folks, amen, they ask to, ask to miss. Or in some situations, they asked amiss, and they received not. She asked and received not, because she asked amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Praying amiss is to pray outside of the will of God, or to pray the wrong mo- with the wrong motive. Praying amiss is to pray outside of the will of God, or to pray what is the will of God with the wrong motive. Proverbs 21 and 13 Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Amen. You know, we as Christians, our cup should run over. There should be an abundance. When I say these things, I'm not talking just about finances. And really, I'm not talking about finances at all. But finances would come under this. But you know, these scriptures we've heard in this hour, these things have all been preached You know, all about finances. Everything has been applied to finances. But nevertheless, God intends for the Christian to have an abundance. Why? To be a blessing. You can't help anybody else if you don't have an abundance. Amen. If you're starving to death and I'm starving to death, I can't feed you and you can't feed me. Somebody has to have an abundance. So Christians want, amen, what God wants. They want an abundance so they can minister to the needs of other people. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. We want what God wants so that we can do what God wants us to do. This is true in every sphere of life, whether it be in the natural or the spiritual. Doesn't matter whether you're praying for finances or praying for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Some people, they'll pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost and they have the wrong motive of spirit. Not because they want to glorify God, 
not because they want to really help someone, but because they have a lust for ministry or have a desire to be seen as anointed. See, these things are, are very subtle, difficult to see. Only the Word of God, as it cuts and divides between soul and spirit, can reveal these motives. Amen? But nevertheless, whatever it is, natural or spiritual, if God intends for us to have it, amen, then we can have it. We've got to pray. But we do pray amiss if we don't have the right motives. Amen. Mark 10, 38 through 40. You remember John, they asked and his brother asked if they could sit at the right hand, amen, of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the left hand of Jesus. Could we sit on either side of you? And he said, can you be baptized? Amen. And can you drink? Can you be baptized with my baptism and drink the cup that I drink of? That's what he asked them. And he's exposing motives. They just wanted to be seen by men. They wanted to have authority over men. That's why we always have to ask ourselves, why do we want what we want? Do we really have a servant's heart? Do we really want to glorify God? Do we really desire to do His will simply because He is God? We rest in His wisdom and we want what He wants. What He wants. Do we really want to be a blessing? And if we want to be a blessing, then we pray for the things, amen, that God would have us to have. And we pray with the right motive. But secondly, praying amiss is praying outside of the will of God. Amen. Praying things that God never intended for us to have. The Bible says the desire of the righteous is only good. The desire of the righteous is only good. Amen. The righteous is not going to lust after a Learjet. The righteous is not going to lust after a Rolls Royce. Amen. The desires of the righteous are only good, meaning they desire what God desires. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Amen. Failure to pray according to the will of God is a reflection of either an ignorance of God's will, Amen. Either sinful or willful. Did you hear me? Either sinful or willful. It can be even sincere. Obviously, young Christians may not be familiar with the Word of God, and they can pray things before they know any better. It could be sinful, it could be willful, it could be sincere. Amen. But nevertheless, it's praying amiss. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what's going on there. If a man doesn't pray in accordance with the Word of God, he is praying amiss. When we ask anything of God, we must ask in accordance with His revealed Word. Amen. 1 John five fourteen through 15 And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Which implies if we ask anything outside of His will, He doesn't hear us. You mean God doesn't know what I'm praying if it's outside of His will? Yeah, here there doesn't mean that He's not aware or cognizant of it. He's not going to answer it. He's not going to answer it. He's not going to regard it. Amen? And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. We cannot ask His will, though if we're unfamiliar with His Word. And that's why we need to familiarize ourselves with the Word of God. Romans 10 and 1, brethren, my heart's desire, this is what the Apostle Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel as that they might be saved. He knew what the will of God was. That's why he had the right desire. Do you see it? 
He had the right desire because he knew what the word. He knew Jesus. He knew what the will of God was. So he had the right desire. And out of the right desire came the right prayer. And that is always the pattern. And if, if it's something that's not directly addressed in Scripture, then we must seek to apply biblical principles while being led by the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, the deceitfulness of sin, listen to me, that often blinds men to the character of God. This is why I used to work, you know, in the, in the plants. And, and this is why, you know, you'd run into people there and they would, uh, you know, walk around making confessions, you know. I'm, I'm gonna be a millionaire by July of next year. I mean, you ever met people like that? And they'd be telling everybody in the control room, I, I'm gonna be a millionaire by next year. And you say, really? Well, uh, God's gonna make me a millionaire. Well, have you ever, they wouldn't let you, they wouldn't even reason with you. That's what they're gonna confess and say. Amen. Well, what, why was that? Covetousness had blinded their eyes. They're not, they'd take, they'd quote scripture. Hey, Ben, the, the wealth of the wicked is, you know, laid up for the... They'd quote Scripture and twist and pervert things. Why? There's sin. There's idolatry in that heart. And sin often blinds us to the true character and the nature of God. That's just another form of unbelief. To pray outside of the will of God. God will not give His promises to those who fail, though, also to meet His conditions of holiness. He's not going to bless sin. No, no. He's not going to bless disobedience. And in most cases, obviously, it's impossible for a sinful heart to offer up a real prayer of faith. Either draw away from God, or when it draws not a God, it has the wrong motive. It's got wickedness in the heart. And the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He's not going to bless sin. First John 3 and 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Amen. See, that's consistent with the life of faith. It's not if I'm obedient, then God is going to reward me, though I do believe that obedience is rewarded. But it's, it really is pointing to the fact that faith is always obedient. And I obtain the promises of God by faith. It's impossible for me to have real faith and to live unholy. Ellie Maxwell said, we cannot live in the flesh and pray in the Spirit. We cannot live in the flesh and expect to pray in the Spirit. Prayerlessness is symptomatic of a life lived in the flesh. A lack of life in the Spirit. I believe you could just plug in. Praying amiss is also indicative amen symptomatic of a life lived in the flesh either one of these maladies is a sign of carnality there's something wrong in that heart there needs to be repentance you know you don't you don't want to draw draw nigh to god when there's some sin in your life what had him what happened to adam when he fell he hid from god he hid from God. And no matter what it is, if you have difficulty, if you've lost the desire to press into the things of God, if you, if you, if you have no desire to press in to the person of Jesus, perhaps there's sin there that needs to be repented of. It needs to be forsaken. If we're to realize the promises of God, we should familiarize ourselves with God's Word and we should separate. From everything that the Bible says is sin. It's really that simple. You want to hear from God? You want to seek God? And you want to have the answer? 
by the Holy Ghost. You want the will of God to be done in your life according to the person of Jesus? Repent of all sin. Separate from all sin. Humble yourselves. Seek God. Forsake any wickedness in your life. And the promises is, I will heal your land. I will answer. I will visit you. I will make a way. The will of God will be done in that life. Ask and you shall receive. Amen. Ask according to the word of God and have confidence. If he hears, then he's going to answer. We have the petitions that we ask of him. Amen. Let's stand here this morning. These are the two biblical reasons for lack. Asking not and asking amiss. Asking not and asking amiss. And on that ground, let's examine our heart here this morning and make sure that we indeed come to Him in faith. You know, really, just survey your life. Am I, am I talking to God about this? I'm not just, I'm not talking about just mentioning it to Him. Are you seeking God for things that you know is the will of God? Perhaps there's a temptation in your life, a particular besetting area. Are you seeking God for the victory in that really pressing in? Perhaps it's a lost relative or a lost loved one, uh, lost children, whatever it may be, whatever there is, amen? Do you need to be filled with fresh oil? Are you seeking God about that specific thing? And then you have to ask yourself, if I am asking, is it really in accordance with the will of God? Are my motives right? Do I have the right motive about it? Why do I want this? Why, why am I seeking God about this? And can I look to the Word of God and with confidence say, I know this is what God would have for me. I know that because it's in accordance with His will. And that way we know we're seeking Him and we're not seeking Him amiss. Amen. Father, we ask You in Jesus' name, touch our hearts, strengthen us, here this morning to pray. Purge us, Lord, from these two maladies of unbelief, Father God. We pray that faith would rise in the heart. Lord, we all have needs here. We know that, Lord God. As a church, there's great lack among us. We know that that's true. We confess that. And Lord, we ask You for grace to pray, to press in, to seek You. Lord, to ask and not to ask amiss. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, pour out Your Spirit of supplication upon us, Father God. We pray for light in the heart, light in the soul, light in the eye, Father God. Show us Your glorious Christ afresh. Let us see Him high and lifted up as truly the Messiah, the answer to all things, the answer to our need, the answer to our lack, the answer for our problem. Everything we have need, Lord, we know is in the person of Jesus. Come and walk among us. Do a work in our midst. Do a work in our heart. Do a work in our marriages. Do a work in our home. Do a work in our 
children. Do a work in us, Lord, as we go on the streets and in the prisons, Father God. We pray for your anointing, the anointing of the Holy Ghost to destroy, to shatter the yoke of the world, the flesh, sin, and the devil. Oh, Lord God, we need you in this house. I pray you purify our motives of heart, Lord God. Oh, show us, Lord. Let the Lord, the flaming sword of thy word cut between flesh and spirit, Lord God. We pray for light in the inward parts to expose every unchristlike motive. And Father God, that we would come to you in faith. That we would cast every care upon you. Every burden that we would believe you for the best, the holiest, the highest. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Why don't you kneel there at your chair. Let's just pray for a few moments. Just ask Him, Lord, I, if I have any of this, if I hadn't prayed as I ought to pray, and I, we can all, there, there'd never be a time that we couldn't pray that. I understand that. We, we're never gonna feel, if you, if you were to stand up here and say, oh, I'm praying enough, Brother Britt, I know you're in trouble then. There's none of us that could ever say yes to that. But, you know, pray, Lord, if I, if I have drawn back from you, if I haven't, if I haven't trusted you as a, as a little child, I want the faith of a child. I want the faith of, of a young lad that just trusts in you, that's dependent upon you. Pray along those lines that God would humble us, that we would be broken before Him, that we would see and recognize our need, our inadequacies, and that we wouldn't pray outside of His perfect will.